This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Cause we're gonna be Hey everybody, this is uh, the uh, interview I gave for Bulletproof Podcast, a really strong podcast. A lot of people on social were giving a lot of daps, so obviously a lot of you have been listening to it and others uh, will discover it through this and you should listen to this. I thought this was a very sharp and tight interview I gave. Hope you enjoy it. So what's changed for you in the last 10 years as you've evolved as a human being? Um, I think I've become more self-aware of... Uh, of the things that work for me that I see in others, um, I've you know I've become very uh, aware that our brain is the operating system. So I've I've just become thoughtful. You know, I, you know it's funny. I was a whiz kid, business kid, my whole life, and so when I was 22, 23, 24, you know, talent was so obvious to me. But what's so fun about being 42 and still having talent is you have experience, right? And so over the last 10 years, I think what's been very clear to me is the value of experience and, and just a much deeper understanding of the mental aspects of all of this. And, you know, I grew up a big sports fan. It makes sense to me. You know, you look at somebody who is succeeding at 37 in a 25-year-old sport, and a lot of it has to do with mentality and experience and whether it's Federer or that awful guy in New England or, you know, LeBron, you can see these guys evolve in a way that still allows them to have the competitive advantage, even though the needed speed and strength is declining, they're picking up things. And I think that's kind of me as a businessman. I think over the last decade, I'm picking up on patterns and experiences that are making me more thoughtful and even more prepared for the decade at hand. And and I think I've also become detached uh, in a way that I think is powerful. In this decade, I became, I became it became obvious to me it was the process of trying to buy the Jets, not buying the Jets that I was actually chasing, which makes you detached. Like my level of giving a shit of buying the New York Jets is actually now zero. <laughs> Um, but my, but, but my, my level of wanting to buy the New York Jets is now a hundred. There is nothing else I want to do than, you know, try to build and be an entrepreneur and build businesses. And, and now I'm, you know, you also at 42 versus 32 want to give back to the game that's gotten you there. Right. And so, uh, I've become unbelievably inspired by producing content and giving back to entrepreneurs with no expectation in return in a way that I think is very fundamentally different than uh, a lot of my contemporaries. And so legacy has become more important than uh, it was 10 years ago and I think will continue to grow in its importance to me. What does legacy mean to you? Uh, how will it be remembered by people that knew me and people that didn't know me. Why do you care whether you're remembered? You know, I think I care because it's some sort of selfish narcissistic <laughs> okay. need. I really do. I listen, I mean, I think, you know, I think the same reason, like, like the same reason people want to, uh, want to get plastic surgery. I mean, I don't know if it's a, I don't, you know, I, I spend a lot of time thinking like, what's the shortcoming in it. I spend a lot of time on that. Like what's the vulnerability of this need to be remembered. And I think, you know, I think it's a huge reaction to loving life to be very frank with you. Mm. Like I really like being alive and I really know that I'm not going to be forever. And that really like makes me sad. How long do you think you're going to live? 
if I if I had to like really bet and be historically correct looking back at this video. Yeah. I think I'll get to uh, 103. 103? I, I like that number. Are you actively working on doing that now so you can extend your yeah. impact? I mean, I've taken care of my health a lot better over the last four years. Um, yeah, you're, you're looking much better. Thank you. Yeah, it's crazy actually to look at it now. I didn't really even see it. Before. You know, you don't see it when you're in yeah. it, you know? Yeah, I'm trying to do the, the you know, but I think it's just the evolution of man and medicine, right? And so it is. I definitely think we'll get to some nice numbers. And, and when I say 103, I actually probably, let me preface it. I think 103 is going to be pretty good. You know, like, meaning, <laughs> yeah. like, meaning like I might go at 109 in the last six years or I might go sudden at 103. But like I expect like I'm optimistic to believe like 97 to 103 of those are going to be pretty amazing. Uh, man, I, I love that mindset. And the people you're impacting, uh, people who are 12 to 22, if they get on the bandwagon that you're talking about, uh, I think they've got a really clear shot at going way beyond that. I think that's right. The, you and I in our in our 40s, uh, that's definitely what you're talking about is well within the realm of, of reason. The uh, the reason I'm asking about that is is you talk about legacy and, and you talk about you know the the big impact you're going to have and how people remember you. You've got another 60 years. Yeah. What are you going to do with that? A lot of good. It's why I'm being very patient. You know, a lot of people, I'll give you a good example. This is a very interesting insight about me. I don't get involved in politics or social issues that much publicly. I will answer, you know, just answer it about me. If I own the Jets, I would support my players kneeling because I don't think they're kneeling against the flag. I think they're kneeling. I know what the early intent was and I don't, that's what I would do. And like, I very much have empathy of people now being mad at me or not mad at me and that's fine. But, but one of the reasons I don't is because I do think in 60-year terms, and I don't believe that my wealthy friends are going to solve the world issues by tweeting. I really don't. <laughs> and so I also know that by, by focusing on what is true to me, I can amass bigger, bigger audience and bigger, bigger influence, and then maybe later on make a bigger impact on things when there's scale. So like, I think the biggest thing that knowing I'm going to be around for 60 years or aspiring to it makes me calm and patient and thoughtful, and I, uh, I try to uh, focus on that. When you spoke at Mastermind Talks, uh, there was a, an, an era of, especially as you talked about your, your formative years uh, as a young entrepreneur, there was an era of, of sort of suffering and, and this incredible grit and, and things like that. And, and you even said, you know, if someone out there just had a technology to make meditation better, like I want that. Is how have you evolved your your sense of you know the, the world's not a good place or I'm pushing really hard or I, I'm unhappy? How have you evolved that to where you are today? You know, it's interesting. I would tell you that if that's what you know, I think I talk. I'm an aggressive communicator. Oh yeah, and I think and I think at times that means that things get lost. I will tell you that the greatest thing that ever happened. So I've always thought the world is amazing. Okay, good. It, let's start, let's start there. Good, good. Like I'm the most on the human race person you'll ever meet. I genuinely believe tomorrow is better than yesterday in the human race in the ultimate macro. Yes, uh, now, I support you there. Now, let's talk about America in a micro. America has a flavor of the month of who we're gonna hate. Unfortunately, it is our Muslim American brothers and sisters. And that breaks my heart because I'm aware that that was for Irish and Italian and it has consistently been for African American and Jewish and so, in the micro, there, you know, there, you know, whether you're transgender or I think mental, you know, to me, I'm playing about, I'm all about mental games, right? 
we haven't even started talking about the you know people talk about privilege what about the privilege of having your chemicals right in your brain yeah amen when are, when are we going to have that conversation like i surely know a lot of super rich white dudes who have the wrong mindset in their dna and i would argue that that's very nice that you think they're mercedes and their champagne and caviar is privilege i think they're super uh, there are an incredible number of unhappy billionaires out there. Uh, we've both met some of them. And sure. you come across generally as really as really happy now. But you also, you'll you'll sit there and, and you'll say things like, stop crying and hustle. And yeah. <laughs> where does that come from? And I'll from? tell you why. Yeah, why do you say that? Well, it, comes, it comes from, I don't believe you can win if you think the game is rigged, whether it's rigged or not. Okay. You know, I think dwelling and complaining without action is a fundamentally broken strategy. Yes, it is. And so I know the world is unfair. Let me give you an unfair world. You've done everything right. You've worked super hard. You're a white male. You're a good dude. You're a good dude. You get terminally ill tomorrow. You die in four months. Unfair. Yeah. So I think we talk about unfair in like, economic and sociological and racial and sexist terms. And I think that's right. But like to me, it's like, you just don't, you know, my grandfather, who I never really knew, I met him, but I don't remember him because I left Russia when I was three and I just don't remember him. He died when I was five, right? Unfair as he was getting ready to come to America, right? He, speaking of unfair, spent 10 years in jail for being Jewish. Mm. Because that's how the Soviet Union was run in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and 40s. He had a saying that my mom remembers, which is basically translates to, you don't know what's going on behind somebody's closed doors. <laughs> I've not been able to get rid of that. that is my, that's how I live my life. I do not show me, you know, Kate Spade looks super pumped to me. Mm-hmm. Anthony Bourdain was a super rich white dude, super famous rich white dude. So there's obvious unfairness and then there's the scalable hidden unfairness. I just don't judge. I'm just not in the mood of judging. So when I talk about stop crying and hustling, I feel like anything somebody's complaining about, somebody else could also complain about something. Yep. And I don't know why we have so much judgment in the air that somebody has it better or worse. And I feel like there's a lot of things one can control. I'm a big believer that if you don't like the game you're playing, leave it. If, so for example, I didn't like venture capital that much anymore. So I stopped investing. You know, I, look, you know, like my friends, Obama and Bush, less than with Trump, which is weird considering how much angst is in the system. During the years of, the 16 years of Bush two and Obama, I had friends on both sides of the aisle saying, if he gets reelected, I'm moving to Canada. Yet nobody moved to Canada. I'm fascinated by that. I'm, fa- I'm fascinated by my genuine belief that, for example, I told my wife a couple months ago, I'm like, we could live in Sweden for the rest of our lives. Could happen. You know, like, I don't know. I'm just very solution oriented, like complaining and dwelling. Yeah never leads to anything I believe in. It never does. 
it, it doesn't help anyone, but it's become a habit. And I, I love it that you're just calling people on that. And then you say things like positive vibes only. And for a lot of us, that can be an, an external, oh yeah, I'm going to show positive vibes. To your example of Anthony Bourdain or, or Kate yeah, Spade, the external is there. Yeah. How do you go about having positive vibes inside of you and how do you recommend other people do that? For me, positive vibes only works because I can't hear anything else. I don't value anybody's opinion of myself over my own of myself. And I like my opinion of myself because I hold myself accountable and I also don't overjudge myself because I know I'm human, I'll make mistakes. How did you get there? Because a lot of people listening, they probably do judge themselves a lot internally or they know how to act confident and act like they have positive vibes inside. They're uncertain, they're unsure and, and things like that. How did you get through that? Or were you born that way? I think I was born with a certain level of that DNA and I think it was catered and crafted and cared for in a remarkable way by both of my parents in different ways. My mom overloving me and giving me real self-esteem and having a kind environment. And then my dad holding me accountable. You know, I genuinely believe I would be the cliche artist that some people think I am on first glance if my dad wasn't my father and he didn't have a like repulsive response to even exaggeration, let alone lying. And it took a lot of my out of my system. I, when people think I'm full of shit, the first time they see a video or an interview, I really understand why because I'm like, I, I get it because I have that communication style which leads to that behavior. And so I don't get upset because it makes sense to me. And I don't get upset because I also know who I am. And I think it's intriguing that the people that know you best like you the most and I always look for that. You know, I'm proud that my assistants who have the most access to me have the best kind of view of me. And I'll like to keep it that way. Got it. So you don't believe the critics because you know they're probably wrong and the people who have the best sense of you are, are there and you've got your own internal voice that, that actually works pretty well. Yeah, and if the critics end up being right, then I'll give them daps. I'm just extremely comfortable being booed in the second quarter. Got it. And, and building that comfort is something that all entrepreneurs, as they succeed, have to go through because it seems like as you start to succeed, there's always the people who are jealous who will try and take you down. Is that pretty much 100% of the time? Yeah. You know what? Look, I, I, you know, I don't view it as jealousy or envy. I think it's judgment. Mm, okay. You know, like I think people get into like, oh, the, when you start using things like jealousy, you start dismissing. And I don't want to dismiss people's crit criticism of me or judgment of me, I want to understand it and deploy empathy against it. But yeah, I mean, I think, look, I worry that we live in a world where modern day parenting tries to eliminate adversity out of the system in the early years, because I think it is the foundation of success and happiness later on. How do you tie that into gratitude? You're so positive in, in your statements about gratitude and all that. Do you have a regular practice when, when someone says a bunch of about you and you ask yourself, is this true or is it not true? How do you, how do you make that something you're grateful for? Well, first, I'm just grateful that they're paying attention. If people are, if people are talking about you, yeah. that means you're doing something right. <laughs> like uh, when people do that for me, like one of the funniest things I always laugh at is when somebody else, look, so one thing I don't think people realize is I, I don't consume content from people. I consume people's consumption of people's content. 
So I know people's I know people's audiences better than I I know every person on earth based on their audience's view of that person, not that person. Let me explain. I'll read the comments of you know or the replies of somebody's post, not their post. And so I'm very fascinated about that. But I know this: when somebody who's got some sort of audience judges me, I always laugh because. I go, well, I must be doing something right because this other fancy person has time to pay attention to what I'm doing and I have no idea what they're up to. And yeah, you're worthy of being judged, so you can be grateful for that. I'm absolutely grateful for that. Okay. I am grateful for that. And I don't believe that all publicity is good publicity. I do not. I don't don't think, you know, being known as a awful person by everybody on earth is a good thing. What is the one thing that critics have said about you that really made you stop and pause and reconsider? Nothing. Nothing. Got it. No. So you, you see it. It's, it's just never done that to you. Not stop and pause and be like. Okay. Right. So it just doesn't. Because when you, when you really try to like, it just hasn't happened, but it may happen. It may. Uh, but cursing or ego or doesn't know what he's talking about. That's just that's, not gonna. No. That's not gonna stop me. You know, that's not gonna stop me. Okay. Tell me about a, a time where you you thought you were gonna lose it all, if there ever was one. Probably early never, in your career. I, I never ever never. overextend myself. Okay. I'm far too conservative to lose it all. All right. So what I'm looking for there is is then. Uh, some sort of major failure. I don't know how you deal with failure. Well, well, or you push on well, something and it just doesn't work. How does how does Gary Vee uh, deal with that? I, I I have to deal with failures every day. I deal with it super easily. I love failure. <laughs> hey man, I love that. All right, tell me more. I lost I lost millions of dollars raising a Vayner Capital a couple of years ago personally. Uh, because I decided I didn't feel good about deploying the $150 million I was raising, but I had already incurred the expenses of a team looking for deals. I'd never lost seven figures before. I felt great about it because I was so proud of myself for being the man that I wanted to be around integrity and giving back the LPs the money because I didn't feel good about deploying it because I didn't like the current market of early stage startups, even though that's what worked for me prior. So you were, did you lose even one night's sleep over that? Did, did you have a, a, a crisis of confidence? I didn't even, no, no. I mean, because then you value down. money over your per, over cool. who you are as a man. It's the maybe the greatest. Like you know, I think people would see it as a law. Let, let me give you another example. What do I actually? What am I actually worried about? I'm worried about my family being alive and happy and healthy. Now let's default into my dad dying tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Where do I go? Man, he's such a young man, right? He was only 65 or, you know, like, or do I go like, my God, I'm so grateful that I'm 42 and got really meaningful time. And wow, see, I knew it. I knew building Wine Library and, and even though it wasn't under my name and I didn't own it, that I would always cherish that decade and a half of working so close to my dad because now that he's gone and I don't have the 30 years that I was hoping I would have, I can hang on to that was a good decision and look at all these memories that are bouncing around my head that unfortunately my sister and brother don't have. You know, I'm an optimist. I'm optimistic. I don't, I don't apologize for it. Being optimistic does not mean you're delusional. And I think that that's what people try to position it as. 
Like I don't, I don't wear rosy colored glasses. I think most people wear dark sunglasses. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not confused. I'm not ideological. I'm practical as fuck. I get mad when people think that I'm disruptive or rogue or doing these kind of things. I feel like I'm practical and most people are living in the past. It is highly unusual uh, to, to look at a, a death in the family, let's say, and, and say, wow, so much good has come from this and, and to celebrate that. It's, it's the healthiest, it's the best way to do it, but it's unusual. It's not, it's, un, it's not unusual when you're 42 years old, never had health scares, were awfully close because your parents were 20 years older than you, right? Mm. That's not unusual. What would be more unusual and I still go there, is the death of a child. You know, losing a 12 or 19 or 6 or 3 or 31-year-old child, that's devastating, you know? But I'm unable to not contextualize my brain, and I just did it right now and never really thought about it. I go into, well, what if my wife and I couldn't have kids and we had no time with this person? I mean, gratitude is real. Like, Like, my man, if I could... You know, if we advance technology and people can actually put all characteristics in their body and they're like, Gary, you've been a voice of emotional intelligence for a half a century. You get to pick what the Americans or the citizens of the world get to put in their body. I would go, man, all right, cool. Really? You want me to do this? Fine. I'll do it. You know, because my ego would take over. And I would say, all right definitely self-awareness and gratitude. Definitely. Like, let's make that 80% of the formula. You know, I just think they're incredibly powerful traits that I cherish and I want to talk about and I want to put them on a pedestal the way being pretty and funny are. Wow, that that is profound and beautiful. I've got one more question for you, Gary. Someone comes to you tomorrow and they say, I want to perform better at everything I do as a human being. Just based on your life's experience, what are the three most important pieces of advice you'd have for someone? Uh, Take a step back and frame it into a long-term strategy. Okay. Right? Yeah. So put patience on a pedestal if you do that. Mm -hmm. Take a step back and be like, okay, if I want to be better at everything, it's not going to happen overnight and it's going to have to be systematic. Number two... I would tell them to map the humans that they admire in those different traits and try to get as close to them as possible, including working for them for free, period. Uh, Number three, I would say that only putting the process of getting better at all those things should be put on a pedestal, not your or anybody else's opinions if you've achieved advancement in those things. I'm not sure I understand that last one. You say the process of getting better is more important than what one person's done? Uh, no, that what what your or other what somebody else's point of view on have you advanced at being better. Uh, fall in love with trying to get better at tennis or kindness or mm-hmm. working out. Like judge you doing the things that you need to do to get better, not look up a week later and be like, am I better at tennis? Am I better at kindness? And definitely don't let your aunt or your sister or your you know, best friend or Sarah Pants 67 in the comments section <laughs> be the judge if you're better at empathy, kindness, you know? 
Okay, got it. So you're saying love the process of improving rather than the results of improving. But it's not only loving the process of doing it, it's understanding, knowing how to score it along the way. Uh, okay, and get good data on it along the way. Or understand that just being in it is already the victory and think of the uh, results as the collateral. That is beautiful advice. You see where I'm going? Like, I see where you're going. Don't judge yourself. Ask your, hold yourself accountable to I'm playing tennis every day. I'm practicing kindness or transparency every day. I've become much better at radical candor. It does not come natural to me at all. Radical candor with yourself or with other people you're saying? To my employees and friends and the people closest to me. I'm really good with radical candor to the masses, which is right. why I roll that way. But I do think that people find it unusual that I'm not good at radical candor because it's the hypocrisy of like the masses you could do it. But like for Alex, who's filming me right now, I like him now. <laughs> and so, you know, like, you know, <laughs> finding ways to give him radical candor or feedback on how to be more successful and what I'm asking him to do didn't come natural to me because I was very much a honey over vinegar guy. It's taken me time, but I've practiced radical candor over and over. And now I feel like I'm better at it. Nice. It's that process of improving. Well, Gary Vee, I know we're running up on the end of the show. Thank you for being on, on the show. Uh, for people listening, uh, Gary Vee's a big name. You probably see him on social media and all, but you might not have read uh, one of his books. His latest one is Crushing It, How Great Entrepreneurs Build Business and Influence. If you're interested in being an entrepreneur, this is a book that's worth reading uh, because if you want to be a modern-day entrepreneur, letting your customers know who you are and having influence that way is, is really important. And it's something that I practice. It's certainly a book that I've read and I, I built into what I do. So Gary, thanks for your work in the world. Thanks for your time on Bulletproof Radio. I appreciate you. Thanks, brother. And I want to say one thing. I really, it's very nice of you. And I assume this is your structure to like do a nice little thing for your guest at the end. I really oh, yeah. want everybody to hear this. My levels of passion of you buying this book are literally 0.00. .00. Now, <laughs> if you're the human that likes, that learns from reading in book format, yeah, I think it's a good $15 investment, but the utter level of free content that I'm putting out on a daily basis is absurd. And if that 17 bucks matters for you to reinvest in something else, please go do that because unlike oh, yeah. a lot of other people sharing information, my is free and at scale and daily and in written audio and video form across every platform. I, uh, I re you know, it is so nice of you to do that at the end, but I wanted nobody to be confused of, uh, of my ambitions. No, I, I, as an author also, I just look at a book when, when you're willing to spend the amount of time it takes to yeah. write a book, if you're sure. going to spend four hours of your time, you get the highest ROI on reading a book from an author who cares. I, you know, it's interesting to think about how one consumes, like I don't consume information while reading. Yeah, then you shouldn't buy books, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, like, that's why my audiobook does really well. A lot of entrepreneurs tend to be dyslexic or, you know, learn in a different fashion. And so it's probably why I give the most oomph to my audio. It's why I go off script. I like really bring it in that format. It's why I love podcasts. So much free information. Jesus. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're, uh, you're interesting that you're omnichannel and I'm blown away at how you pull that off in your life and still have comfort. I do a couple shows a week <laughs> and, and write a book a year and, uh, and some, some video content, but man, I'm, uh, I don't know how you keep up with your life at the level you do, but you have a lot of super valuable stuff in every format, however people absorb it, which is, which is unusual. Thanks for having me, man. Take care. Thank you. Thanks, man. Bye. Bye, Dave.